What's going on, guys? Back again for another episode of Hockey Talk with Ryan Hawk. And today's guest was David Ling. Uh, David Ling is uh, from Halifax, Nova Scotia. He played pro hockey for 25 years, guys. Started in 95-96 uh, and, and went all the way up until 2018-2019. Uh, basically, David Ling came on the show just to chat with me about not only his playing career and you know being a draft pick of the Quebec Nordiques, uh, but also just what he's up to these days and you know pretty cool conversation we had near the end of the interview about his philosophy uh, David works as a financial advisor financial planner uh, helping pro athletes and you know guys that need to help or need the help with managing their money and I think that's so important you know I've heard it myself um, I've heard it said you know it doesn't matter if you make $50,000 a year or $500,000 a year if you don't know how to budget, if you don't know how to manage your money, you're going to be broke. And we've seen that even just recently with Evander Kane, for ex- uh, for example. And um, so, David, we, you know, we talk about that. Uh, we also talk about some of the great stories he, 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 you know, experienced in his journey in professional hockey. So um, check it out, guys. Thanks for listening. Rate and subscribe the podcast wherever you listen. And uh, enjoy this interview with David Ling. So here we are, guys. Hockey talk with Ryan Hawk, and uh, today's guest is a guy who uh, has pretty much played everywhere that you can possibly play in the uh, in the world of hockey. Uh, David Ling joins me from Prince Edward Island. David, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Ryan. How's it going? It's doing pretty good, man. Um, I figured we could just dive right into it and and just start from square one. Uh, you know, you're from Nova Scotia and, and originally. Um, when did you start playing hockey and, and what, what got you into playing? You know, uh, my, my, both my parents were athletes and I have an older brother who started him with the, the hockey before I did. So when, as soon as I came out, I think I had a hockey stick in my hand. So it was, it, it, it helped with having an older brother and, and, and being his, uh, at first I was his goalie just so he could practice his shot. And then I, we we ended up getting a younger sister, and she ended up being our goalie. So she took <laughs> she took quite a few bruises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what kind of player were you growing up? Uh, you know, I I grew up in PEI mainly. I moved here after my dad got a job here after med school, and uh, you know, I was always a a, a skilled skilled player with a little bit of edge. You know, I. It was people said, you know, you're in junior, not many people like playing against you. But if you ask people I played against in novice, I'm sure they said the same thing. I had that reputation of, uh, you know, anything to win, maybe good or bad, but that was the, the attitude I brought. Yeah. Did you have uh, any NHL players you tried to model your, your, uh, your game after? You know, coming from PEI, we didn't have uh, too many active players. And, uh, you know, Forby Kennedy, who played in the the 60s and 70s you know he, he coached me a couple times and uh I wear 17 because of Gerard Gallant who was with the Red Wings in Tampa Bay and ended up coaching me in in, in Columbus and we've actually are, are pretty good friends now so it's that's why I wear 17 my two boys wear 17 and uh you know even my nephews are wearing 17 so it's it's uh, and that's where it came from came from I didn't have many uh options I liked the the Red Wings growing up with Probert and Yzerman and, and and Gerard was on on the team and I and that's why I wore 17. 
Yeah. So you got to walk me through how you grew up in the Maritimes and then um, you played a junior actually in the Maritime Junior Hockey League, but you ended up in the Ontario Hockey League. So how did that happen? Was there no Quebec League uh, offers at the time? So back in the, back in that day before PEI didn't have a junior team. So they, they were, they called them a, a free, free province. So it, we couldn't, we had to pick at a certain date before all three drafts. We had to pick which one we wanted to go to and, and being an English English kid and, and watching the OHL and seeing a lot of the good English players coming out of the OHL, I decided to go to the OHL. You know, I had people in the WHL recruiting me. I just felt it was, you know, at 17, it was just too far away. And, you know, it was, it was, it was good hockey, but it was just too far away. And the OHL is, you know, a better fit for me at, at the time. I didn't want to leave my house at 17 and go into a French community in, in Quebec. So the options were there for me and I chose the OHL and I'm, you know, glad I did. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's pretty clear from your stats that you could play. I mean, you were over a point per game, um, but you also had 665 PIMS in three seasons. So, I mean, was that just uh, was it just a bit of a jungle at that time, or, or were you kind of taking on a role of a, an enforcer at times uh, just to to make a team? Well, you know, I playing playing here in PEI, like I said before, Forby Kennedy was my coach, and 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 he grew up, or or he coached and played the the tough style, the old school. And, uh, you don't don't mess around, and you gotta you gotta answer the bell. So I I knew at you know fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, I knew how the the culture was and uh, I knew my brother went to my brother went to NCAA at Notre Dame and, and I knew being a smaller guy that I knew I had to go to the if I wanted to play in the NHL I had to go and and, and show them that I wasn't 5'9 I was I was a, willing to to fight the 6'2 six, 6'3 six, guys and and show them that you know maybe that's that was the difference and and it and it, and it worked out but I, I do I do credit that even my offensive, some of my offensive skills were, were through, you know, gaining room by dropping my gloves and people not knowing, being unpredictable and really not knowing what I'm going to do. And, and people would say, uh, yeah, you're unpredictable. We didn't know what you do. And I'm like, well, I didn't even know what I was going to do. So you <laughs> put a jersey on and, and take it off when I was a different person. So it, it, it was almost like a costume I put on. <laughs> yeah. Was that, I guess, a bit of a shock uh, culturally for you to go to an, you know, an Ontario league where you're playing against 20-year-olds potentially? And, and, I mean, were you ever maybe a little bit, uh, I, I don't want to say scared, but, you know, if you're out there and you're up against a guy who's two or three years older and maybe six inches taller than you, were you kind of like, oh, gosh, you know, this is what I got to do to stick? I think, you know, I, I, I did play junior at 14, 15, 16, so I was playing against those 20-year-olds and, and okay. fighting guys, but I was – Looking back, I, I now I am scared. I am scared to fight. I do have nerves, but I think I, at, you know, until I was about thirty-five, I was too dumb to be scared. And and I, <laughs> you know, I got hungry when another guy fought. I was almost like started shaking because I it, I wanted it to be me. There was no I was too dumb to be to, to be scared and and beat getting beat up didn't didn't bother me. You know, I was five nine and I wasn't supposed to win them all. And, you know, you get a pat in the back for fighting a guy six four, even though you get pounded. So it's, you know, I, I think young and dumb and, and and not realizing that there are, you know, you could really get hurt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I and I was never a fighter when I played, but uh, you and I are about same stats. And uh, there were the the odd times I, I had to fight, and I was, I you know, I'm glad that you were fine. I was scared shitless. Uh, probably the probably the, probably the fastest I ever skated was skating away from a guy that wanted to cave my face in. So. Um, 
your uh, your first year in Kingston, though, you ended up getting drafted by the uh, the Quebec Nordiques in the seventh round. So, I mean, what was the scouting process like back then? Were you were you aware of any scouts that had kind of put you on the radar, or, or was it kind of a surprise to you to to be drafted? You know, I coming in the draft, and, and and you got you know if you weren't in the top one or two rounds, you you pretty much made your own choice and and, and got to pick if you wanted to go to the draft at the time and. You know, I had I had an agent who said, you know, you you could be a late round pick, and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I don't care if I don't get drafted, you know, I, but I I don't want to miss it if I do. So I, me and me and my dad and my brother and and my grandfather, we went up to it was in Quebec City actually, and 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 got drafted by the Nordiques. But we did go, and and fortunately enough, I did get drafted. And you know, I I wasn't uh, I wasn't surprised, and I don't think I would have been surprised if I didn't get drafted. I was just on that you know, five, nine bubble where everyone had to be six feet. And, you know, I, I only had a, one year to prove myself. And I, you know, I, I, I came in, I had a point a game and, and fought, fought when I had to. And, and, and I thought I proved myself, but I wouldn't have been surprised if I didn't get drafted at that time. Well, and, and you mentioned the point per game too. And I mean, that last year in Kingston, you had 61 goals in 62 games. You led the OHL in scoring. You were the CHL player of the year. So I guess what made everything click that year for you? Well, I knew, you know, I was, I was starting, I was starting to come. My game was starting to come. I was getting, we got a new coach, Gary Agnew, and he came in and he was a guy that, you know, ran with his top guys. So the top two lines got a lot of ice. I got two minutes of pretty much every power play. So I was put in positions to do, to get more points as, as well as, as maturing and, and being a 19 year old, I think junior, a good 19 year old playing against sometimes 16, 17 year olds. It's, it's sometimes a boy against a man and, and you, and you can take advantage of certain, certain teams that have younger D or, or a younger goalie. And, and they're, they're not that they're not good players and they're not going to be good players. It's just that they're younger and, and need time to mature. And I think that's where you see a big difference is even if you, you know, I follow junior now. And if you don't, if you don't, if your best players are your 19 and 20 year olds, your team's not in the top of the top of the league. So I think that there's a big gap there. And I think that the 19 and 20 year olds are, are, are key in junior. Did you, uh, were you playing on a line with Chad Kilger that year as well? Yeah, yeah I, I was playing with Chad. We would rotate between Chad and, and, and Kelly Corpse, who was a really good junior and a really good minor league player. And, and uh, the two of them were, were, were good fits. And, and I, I, exchange back and forth one would be one couple months and you know you go in a slump and they would blame the centerman or they blame me and, and it would rotate but, but I had good line mates as well yeah yeah um that's awesome so I mean you end up the next uh, next season after that OHL year you played your first AHL season for the St. John Flames so what was that transition like to go uh, to go play pro and, and also fairly close to home yeah you know I the, the the rule was if you didn't sign with, with the team that drafted you in two years, you became a free agent. I ended up getting traded to Calgary right near the, the two year mark. And, and, you know, just, I just wanted to play. It didn't matter. I wanted to play in the American league. I knew I had to start in the American league, you know, one year I nearly made the, the Nordiques as, as the, the, they put in the paper, but, you know, I, I went into the, to the AHL and, and again, too dumb to be, to think that I'm not good enough and, and, and go in there with some confidence. And, and I just kept playing the same way I played. I didn't, I played a game where not a lot of people liked to play against me and, and it, had, and I could, could have put up numbers and I ended up making, you know, being a fan favorite there my first year, making the AHL all-star team and, 
and it just started I, I got confidence in my game early and it and it carried on you know even till 24 years of later it was still part of the confidence that you, you instill in yourself back then you know you, you've talked a lot about just being an undersized guy and in that time that you know I mean it was very rare right Martin St. Louis was kind of an exception uh, to the rule it seemed like but it, I mean it sounds like you never had did you like it sounds like you never had anybody say to you you know David you're probably not going to make it just because you're you're too undersized it's just not the right league for you kind of thing it sounds like you always had that belief that no matter what you were going to make it I always heard it and it made it, it made, made a fire internally inside me want to prove them wrong. I always was proven, proven people wrong. And I think it's part of the, 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 you know, that was instilled in me to, to the drive and that was instilled in me to, to, to prove people wrong. And I had to, you know, right up until you're too old, you can't play anymore to proving them wrong. You know, so it's, it's, I think that proving people wrong gave me the, the extra little kick to 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 get me to the wherever whatever level I needed to. Yeah, and we will talk about your career because uh, yeah, you you had uh, about a half a half a century of a career, so there's a lot of ground to cover. But let's start with uh, the NHL and your first game in Montreal. Uh, first of all, do, what do you remember about being called up? Was it uh, you remember where you were? Were you sitting down at the time? <laughs> like, it's funny because. There was no cell phones back then, and we were actually finished practice in, in Fredericton. I was playing with the Canadians in Fredericton at the time, and we were at the college bar after practice, having lunch and a couple beer, playing pool. And I got a phone call from one of the guys on the team, Brad Brown, and he said, uh, "At they called the the local place, and he said, uh, yeah, they the the GM wants you to call him.' I'm like, I hung up on him first and said, "Go away, leave me alone, like you're joking." And they called back, and then gave me the number and I called back and then they said, yeah, you got to come up tonight. So that was, you know, it was kind of, it's kind of funny story just because I didn't believe them and, 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 and I'm at a bar and I'm having a beer, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it's, you know, Montreal, Montreal Canadians, Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, Boston Bruins, you know, that it, it was, the table was set for like, you know, that's, I played that game in on the street, 300 times as a kid, you know, you know, the Stanley Cup final, the Montreal Canadiens, Boston Bruins. So it, it was, it was surreal. And I'd never been so nervous than I was in the morning skate of that, uh, before the game, the morning skate, I, I don't think I made a pass. I don't think I picked up a pass. I, I was so nervous. I was in awe. And I, I really, really, it was, it was surreal. And, and, and the nerves were, I, I, I normally not a nervous guy. And, and I was really, really nervous. And then as soon as the pucks drop, you, you feel like you fit in and, and, and the way you go. And I only got seven or eight shifts, but, you know, it was uh, the next morning in the paper, it was me hitting Bork. It, it looks like I'm crushing him, but it didn't. After, the, after I hit him, I fell down and he kept going. So, <laughs> in the paper, but not in real life. Yeah. Yeah, I can just picture the, the GM of the Montreal Canadiens going like, you know, where's David? <laughs> Is that a bar? Oh, okay. <laughs> It doesn't happen very much anymore where you you don't play any shifts in a game. Yeah. So they call you up, they usually play four lines. But I'm, I remember it might even have been bef- before my first game because if you don't play a shift, it doesn't count. And uh, Rajon Ool comes in and says, uh, or Mario Trump, Rajon Ool comes in and says, uh, you're, we're taking you up to fight Barnaby in Buffalo to, next, tomorrow. So I go up and... I know Barnaby from junior and from, from having a couple of buddies in Ottawa and 
warm up, I said, Bernie, I got to go. And he said, yeah, yeah. I said, just don't turtle like you can. And he said, yeah, no, no, I'll give you a chance. And I remember sitting on the bench. I was, I puked the night before. I puked that knowing I had to fight on, on TV. And, and uh, I remember the score going up three, four, one for, for Buffalo, five, one. And never got one shift and they sent me back down and, and I'm like, holy, that was, that's almost mental abuse. Like I was so nervous <laughs> and then didn't even get a shift to, to even answer the bell. Yeah. When you got to Montreal, were there any players on the team that, that kind of just took you in and, and, you know, uh, took you under their wing and just said, Hey David, you know what? It's just another game. Don't worry about it. it it's funny. Cause I got into the hotel about four o'clock and then I, there's uh I'm sitting there and my, my phone rings and Shane Corson called the hotel and says, I'm picking you up at seven 30. We're going to dinner. And, you know, it, it makes you kind of feel more at home. Let's take the ease away. And you, you know, you, he, he tells you what to expect. And then the next day I had morning skate. So, you know, he, he didn't have yeah. to, he didn't have to, to reach out and, uh, and he did and, and made it feel more comfortable. Was there any, uh, I mean, did he feel any pressure going into a hockey market that was A, super crazy, but B, pretty close to home too? Uh, again, the excitement and the and the ignorance just takes over. And, you know, people go, oh, you shouldn't be there. Well, I, you know, I thought I should be there. So it wasn't like I'm in a place where I shouldn't be or or I thought I shouldn't be. I was I was where I I thought I should be. And, and it was, it was just an experience. I don't think that you, you look, you back, you look back now and reflect and go, wow, that was, that was quite the thing. But while you're in it, you don't really realize what, what a skeptical or an honor it is to, to be there. It's like, you're supposed to be there or you're, you think you should be there instead of, wow, this is awesome. Like I am here and an out of body experience and, and going, wow. But when you reflect back, it's, it, it is a, it is a big honor when I re reflect back at it that, that you know that first game is is something that I'll you know you'll never forget. Yeah, you ended up playing uh, some more seasons in the in the American League before you moved on to Columbus as a free agent. So uh, you know Columbus isn't exactly Montreal. Uh, what made you jump to to the Blue Jackets? Yeah, another you know sometimes you need a little uh, a little push and. Uh, there's a PEI or there was a PEI connection in, in Columbus with, you know, I was, I signed independent in Kansas city. I signed a year in Dallas and Utah. And then, and then there was an opportunity to come and, and, and take a role in American league in the Columbus organization. And, and Doug McLean, Jimmy Clark, Gerard Gallant were all in the organization from, from PEI. And, and I, and I, I knew I was going to get a spot in the American league. And I knew that if I was, you know, put, put myself they're not going to give me hand it to me but if I put myself in a position where I'm I'm, I'm earning an, a spot or a call up they're going to give it to me and I knew that that opportunity that I couldn't pass up and I went into Columbus and again I had Gary Agnew coaching who I had in junior and had made me captain and 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 got confidence and and, and had a good year I, I didn't get I didn't get called up until uh, I caught I got called up five games and Dave King was coaching at the time and he liked me as a person, didn't like the style of play I played and, and, and told him, you know, he, he's not coming back up. So the day that he, the day that Dave King got fired and Gerard took over, I was up for a year and a half. So it was kind of like, you know, a little push that I needed, but it was, it's one of those things that everyone, everyone on the bubble needs, needs someone on, in their corner and, and, and they were in my corner. Yeah. Do you remember who you scored your first goal on? 
Uh, Ron, Ron Tugner in Dallas, I think. Okay. Yeah. Good. I did. Yeah. I did score a slap shot goal on Patrick Waugh. One of my four was Patrick Waugh, so that I, I don't forget that one. <laughs> yeah. What was the goal on Tugnut? Uh, backhand bar down, or I think if I'm if I'm correct, I think I went from end to end behind the net, dangled five guys, went shelf, yeah, or <laughs> or it was a rebound off a face off, and I bumped it five hole. <laughs> one of those two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The grandkids will get the first version for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, I'm in Vancouver and uh, we had Yarko Rutu here for several years and uh, he was probably one of the most annoying players that you could play against. And he had a pretty good scrap against him. You went at him uh, actually twice in your career at least uh, that I saw. But um, I'm curious because, you know, nowadays uh, I have a, a family acquaintance who's in the NHL who uh, – uh, had a fight against a guy tuned him up pretty good and was getting texts from other players on other teams going, Hey, thanks for doing that. Um, did you have anybody on other teams reaching out to you after pummeling route too? And, and I, I got the, the shin bad tap a couple games later saying, yeah, thanks. For, thanks for that. But you know, it, it, uh, I, I, I respect Yarko. He, he played a game similar to, to me where, you know, you, you left the rink knowing people hate you. And, and that was something that, I know that he liked doing, and and that was something that I I, I, I enjoyed. If you hated me and you didn't like playing against me, the I did my job. And yeah. the, I I know Lang, Darren Langdon from Tier Two here, and, and he was on the ice too. So it was either Yarko or Langdon. So I picked Yarko. So it was, it was yeah. a, some strategic positioning on that too. <laughs> Well, I don't know if you've seen the video, but Langdon is like this close to just getting between you and Yarko too. And, and I was thinking, oh yeah, it's probably a good thing. Once you got that left free, it was game over. So um, I wanted to, you know, the other thing about you playing in Columbus, uh, you were there when Rick Nash won his Rocket Richard. At, he was 19 years old. Um, I mean, was it pretty evident back then, like right away he was going to be, you know, a superstar? I was there when he came in his first year and he, he you know, he came in in camp and he, still had the baby body and the, and the, you know, he's big and tall, but he, he wasn't, he wasn't muscular. He wasn't in great shape. He didn't do great in the testing. He went out and scored 40 goals or 30 his first year. And, and the, the, the deceiving speed that he had even at 18 and the, and the way that he could take a puck from one side of the net to the other side of the net really fast with his long reach was something that, you, I didn't see and I hadn't seen before and, and you knew that he was he, he was a special talent at 18 and you knew he was going to go on and have a have a long career and, and, and score some some lots of goals and so it, and he was he was 18 and, and he you know not legal age he was hanging out with the quarterbacks from Ohio State and, and living the life but he, you know he, he he you could tell he was going to be real good at 18 and yeah. he was and he still was maturing and, and, and getting better and better and better yeah, I mean that's a good point because nowadays it seems like, for instance, uh, Connor McDavid was was on everyone's radar from 11 years old on. Back then there was no social media, so I mean for Rick when he came in, he's a first overall pick. Uh, away from the rink, what was he like? Was he kind of just you know still still focused on maintaining the the image of a first overall pick, or, or was he able to toil away a little bit more in obscurity? Oh, you know he. You're in a, you're in Columbus in a, in a in a smaller market. He was smart enough and and was um, 
I think Ray's property where he did know that he had to keep things under wraps and keep it keep it quiet. But he he was a normal eighteen year old kid that wanted to get in eighteen year old trouble. And and you know when there was times that's that's what we did. Not then that was crazy or out of the blue, but what an eighteen year old normal Canadian kid does, he did. Yeah. So after that year in Columbus, uh, you ended up playing with the Toronto Marlies, but uh, then it was the David Ling World Tour that began uh, after that year. So, I mean, you ended up starting off in, in uh, Moscow. Um, what was the decision, what led to the decision to pursue hockey overseas? Well, there's, you know, the year after Columbus, the lockout came and, and I ended up going signing with the Leafs and I was in St. John's and and I knew coming out, I, you know, I'm 30 years old, 31 years old. I know that why would I put a fourth line, 31 year, a 31 year old on the fourth line? Why not develop a 19, 20, 21 year old? So I knew that my game, you know, after the lockout, 200 and some players never played in the NHL again after it. So I, and I was one of those knowing that I, if I was running the team, I wouldn't put a 31 year old on the, on the fourth line and, and, and try to develop them because by the time he, if he does, he's, he's 40. So I got an op- opportunity. I had a good year in, in, in Newfoundland and I had a good year and I had a couple options in Russian and, you know, coming from the, the American league and getting off with some of the money that was offered. I wasn't offered like the crazy money, but I was offered, you know, really good money for, to go play in Russia. And I, and I, and I didn't want to, and I, I heard horror stories. And then I, you know, I, I realized that really it was the second best league in the world at, at the time. And if it's still not, it, 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 it probably still is. And, and it's because of the talent over there. So I, I went over there. I said, you know, I can live anywhere for a year and, and try it out. And I went over there and there's, you know, horror stories. You're getting paid in cash and you're not getting paid. And I ended up my my first year over there, I, I signed with Moscow Dynamo and I went over there and I was I had money up front and they wouldn't pay me. So I'm sitting there and I'm, they're like, go on the ice. I'm like, no, I'm not going on the ice until you pay me my money up front. So three days went by and Tyler Moss, who was in uh, in Spartak just down the road, I was talking to him and like, fuck, they're not getting my money. And, and uh, he said, well, let me talk to the GM. And the next day he said, we'll take, we'll take your contract. Just come on down. So in a car, I went, and that's how I got. I actually went to Moscow Dynamo, went to, and then ended up playing with Spartak, who was their, you know, rival. So it was, it was, it was interesting. I, Russia's a tough place to live. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, one look at that roster too, and and you mentioned Tyler Moss. He was the only other North American player that uh, that I saw. So, I mean, was it a bit of a? There, was, there wasn't. There wasn't. There's there's a couple of funny stories there even with like the, the team meetings I didn't ha- we didn't have to to go into them because we couldn't I didn't even know if they're talking about offense or defense so they were <laughs> but there was also you know I'm I'm asking for help you know trying to get some English food or where's a good place to do this and no one really wanted to help so then I'm going home and at one of the breaks I think around maybe January or Christmas, I'm not sure which one. And all of a sudden, four guys come to me and say, can you get my girlfriend uh, this? Can you get me this? And I and I looked at myself and I'm like, I didn't even know you spoke English. I asked for help two months ago and now you speak perfectly clear English and you're asking me to get you stuff when I go go across the, the water. And I'm like, holy lift. And so, you know, it, 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 
it it was difficult and 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 a lot of the the russians are are yeah selfish a lot of them are selfish <laughs> Well, and I mean, you, you come back and you end up playing in Toronto, but then then it's off to Switzerland, which from my understanding, every North American hockey player wants to play in Switzerland if they can. And I've heard that it's incredibly difficult to get into that league, uh, at least these days. And I, was it same thing for you? Or did you have to jump? Yeah, they only have a certain amount of imports. And, and again, I went in and I went to one of the, the smaller market teams, but the the country, the league in the country over there is, it, you know, it was, it was beautiful. There's, there is pressure that they put on you because you're one of the imports and, and the hockey is, is huge and, and there's pressure, but that's, that's the type of pressure that, that people that go there like. And, and, you know, I, I was over there and I was, I was doing well. And, and again, the, the coach who was, um, uh, he didn't like, he didn't like that. I couldn't skate. He, he was always asking guys, I can't believe that he gets so many points and he, and he can't even skate and blah, blah, blah. And then they, they, he came in and said, we're, we're the coach came in and said, we're, we're bringing in Ricky Fata as a, as a fifth import and, and you probably might not play. And I'm like, I'm leading the team scoring. What do you mean? I'm not playing. And he said, well, just sit in the stands and, you know, we'll use you as depth. And I, he said, will you do that? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. If you sign me to two more years. They said, we can't sign you for two more years. And I said, well, I can't sit in the stands either. I got to beat my kids. So that's, that was the last time I skated with them and I ended up in Finland that same year. So it was, you know, so that's how that went. And he was, yeah. uh, he's actually the, the coach had me, the coach I had was his son plays with the jets right now. The little Swiss guy. What's his name? On the jets, a Swiss player on the jet. Number 27. Ehlers. Yeah. Nikki okay. Ehlers. His dad, Hans, was my, that was the coach. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see that now. And that team went uh, 13 and 30 that year. So, I mean, maybe they could have kept you around a little bit and filled the net. Yeah, you know, that's just the, you know, the weird how European minds think sometimes in the game, you know, like even, even, I I know in, in, in Italy, I got in trouble for having a beer the night before a game. One beer at a sports bar watching a football game, and and I got in trouble because they normally don't have any beer. So it's just you know different cultures that you have to you know I, I couldn't not follow the rules. So you know, you, but you learn the rules as you go, and 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 if that's the rule, that's what you had to follow. But it was just one of those ones where you kind of shook your head at where one beer almost helps you more than it hurts you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and considering, and, and you know, this is not a knock on those leagues, but they're not the NHL. And I, I guess I, I kind of, when you're telling me this, I'm thinking, well, you, you've got a guy who came from the NHL, was a, a pretty good player for an NHLer and an AHLer, and you're bringing him into a league that's not even close to the same competition, and you're going to kind of put a bunch of rules on him as if he's... So it's kind, it was kind of like a tug of war sometimes, but, you know... Uh. What um, what were some of the differences you noticed? Because you went from Swiss to Finland and then back to Russia. I mean, definitely different culture shock uh, or different cultures for sure. Yeah, like you know, it, I went over into Finland and it was it was in the January area and it was it was completely dark the whole whole time I was there the, the last part of the year. But the the style of play was north south and and the and there was you know lots of body contact and it was it was actually a fun league to play in Swiss is more east to west with 
with a lot of skill, with not a lot of body contact at, at that time. And, and then Russia, there was, you know, there, it was a, it was a mix. There was, it was a lot of, not a lot of coaching. It was almost like the, you know, a, a Newfoundland fire drill. Everyone's not coached, but really high skilled and, 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 and trying to some body contact and the Russians watched that the fighting was getting people certain places. So there's fighting started in the KHL and there was guys that wanted to fight. So there, it was, it was evolving, but just wasn't the, the leadership in the, the KHL. I think it would have, if the, if the coaching was a lot better, it would have been, it would have evolved a lot quicker. Yeah. Did you find yourself fighting a lot in Russia? Cause I know there was one team that had like John Morasti and I, they brought over all these tough guys just to almost be like a circus show in the middle of a game. It was a team that was owned by the, owned by the mob, but I didn't, I, they, we didn't play them very often. And I, I, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't real interested in doing it then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, a couple of years later, you ended up uh, in England, and you mentioned Italy as well. You were there, but uh, I mean, what's hockey like in in England? You know, it, it it's getting better, as you can tell. With the, the you know, they're moving up in Group Group B and Group A into the, the World Championships and stuff. So, if that's just a a, a compliment to to the game, it is getting. It, you know, I I remember twenty years ago where you're hearing guys scoring hundred goals in forty games. Like you know, it's it's not that way anymore. It's a very competitive. Lots of AHL guys that are going over there to play, and 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 they're offering school. I ended up getting my, my MBA when I was over there, the the first year I was there, and and giving me an opportunity that I that I wouldn't have been able to get over here just because I didn't have an undergrad, and I, and I, but it was an opportunity that that I did, and I don't regret because it's put me in position now that you know you have a degree. You, and 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 people can't take that away but the, the hockey is it, it was really good I had really I was coming from like you said the world tour and every every country I was in before had a language barrier and you know you you would get homesick because there wasn't a lot of English and you go into England and everyone speaks English and so it's almost like you're you're at home and and you, it the the knapsack comes off and you kind of can relax because it's, it's everyone's English so I I had I had a good time I met a lot of really good English people that are that are still friends now and 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 I, and I really enjoyed my time in England the hockey was good it wasn't as good as the AHL wasn't good as KHL but it was it was good and it and it's growing and 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 it and it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't easy and it was it, it was good to be a part of and they probably had no qualms of you having a beer before a game too I guess eh yeah those those English guys they like to hit the pubs <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you mentioned it wasn't easy, but I, I mean, I did notice you, you were 37 years old when you were playing in Nottingham. You had 89 points in 52 games. There was nobody on the team that came close to that number. Um, I think the next closest guy was like 20 points behind you. So there's there's obviously there's natural talent with you, Dave, but it seems like there was an emphasis on conditioning for you too because you played until you were in your early 40s. Um, yeah, and people at what. There, and there's two things, I, and and when people ask me and I reflect back, I I didn't get injured, I didn't look, I didn't I didn't hurt my knees, and I and I and 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 another another when I reflect back, I wasn't a fast skater. I used my hockey sense to slow the game down in, in, in different situations. That's probably why I didn't play as much as people think, or or in the NHL, as I wasn't I wasn't real fast, and I I don't think that. 
I think the older that some players get, fast guys that are getting older get slower and they have to learn to play a different game. Where I think the older I got, I'm playing the same game because I'm not getting slower. I'm staying the same. So I think that that's one thing. But I also, I really put an emphasis. I, I remember hearing, and I don't know who told me, I remember hearing Stevie Eisenman used to come in to pregame skate the morning of a game and ride the bike for a half hour. And he was just, that's the way he kept conditioning. So I, I took it and, and I, and I made myself ride the bike three, four times a week, even during the season and, you know, six and seven times in the off season, just to, you know, kept my weight down. It, it, it allowed me to, to be in good shape. And I think that when you're in better shape, less injuries happen because your brain is able to go longer. So I think combination of all those three allowed me to play longer and at a, at a, at a higher level longer, because one, I, you know, I didn't have to change my game. I, I played with guys. There's a guy that comes to mind, Don McLean. He's from, he's from uh, Halifax, where he was really fast. A couple knee injuries, and then when he hit his 30s, he had to. He was he was a slower player and had to change his game. And it's difficult to to, to do that at the at the pro level. So it, I think a combination of all that allowed me to stay at the higher level longer. Yeah. Well, and then it, you ended up going back to Nottingham a couple of years later, and I, I noticed one of the guys you played with was Cam Jansen, uh, who longtime New Jersey Devil, and uh, pretty much a rambunctious. Google, Google that fight. He he knocked out Tyson Marsh one night. Oh, poor Tyson. I played with Tyson. He's a great guy, and he was sticking up for a teammate, and they dropped their gloves, and I'm on the ice, and I just went, oh, <laughs> may not want to do this, and he did end up getting knocked out, which – no one wants to see even if you don't like the guy and I like Tyson. So it was, it was tough to watch, but those things happen. Yeah. Uh, did you have any good stories of, of Jansen? Cause he only played the one year over there and, and he talks fondly of it, but I, I can't imagine that guy. He was, you know, Cam, Cam's a really, really good teammate. He, uh, he rarely fights for himself. He, he usually fights for the, for the team or someone on the team. And uh, he, you know, there was nothing crazy on or off the ice that really happened. It was just good old, you know, hockey buddies having a beer or screwing around on the bus, making jokes. And, you know, he, he could dish it out and he could take it. And, and it, it was, it, he, he, he's a fun guy. I still chat with him and, and uh, we're, we're good friends, but I, you know what, I honestly, I wish I, I don't wish that I played against him because I know if I did, I would have ended up butting heads with him. And I don't think I would have won to. <laughs> no, I, I don't think there's many guys that uh, that survived his his scraps. Um, coming down to your as your career was winding down, you ended up playing in the East Coast League, and I mean, lots of people assume that that those types of leagues are are kind of like slap shot. Um, you know, is there any truth to that? Did you have? Uh, I mean, did you see anything that you were kind of going like even just you know pranks on the bus or, or stuff away from the ice? You know, it was an experience because you know sometimes. Sometimes I like going back and pretending I'm 25 years old on the bus. And sometimes I want to pretend I'm 45 on the bus. So, you know, I, I had, the, I was able to have uh, two personalities and, and able to control them both. But no, I, you know, I, I went back to the coast. They, they, they gave me an opportunity. I was, you know, I was older than the coaches. I was older than the trainers and, and it was just, it was an experience, but the, I went down there think, not knowing what I was getting into and I got there and, and the, the hockey and, and the speed of the game is, 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 is really good. And it, I don't know if that's the way it was 20 years ago and, and all the fighting that was going on down there, but it wasn't that way. And it was really, 
there was really high skill and, and just the, the thing that I would probably see the difference is the depth at defense and the depth in goalies wasn't the same as in the American league or in, in, other, in other leagues, but the top end talent was, you know, a lot of guys that are playing in the American league should be in the NHL, just like a lot of guys in the East coast league should be in the American league. So it's, it's a, it was, it was an experience that I really enjoyed. I don't know if I would, would have played anywhere, but Brampton just because of the, the, demographics and, and the situation in, in, in my life at the time and and but I really enjoyed it and I got to you know my kids got to ride the bus for a week on the road trips down down in the United States so it was it was stuff that they'll never forget and I and I won't forget I remember falling asleep on the bus and my son at the my youngest son at the time was probably six or seven and I woke up at two thirty in the morning on an overnight bus ride and he's not in my, he's not beside me he got up and went back and played cards with the boys in the back. So, you know, those experiences, I, I'm, I'm sure I would have liked to rewind and not let him hear what he heard, but <laughs> those experiences of him playing cards at the back of the bus at 2.30 in the morning, he'll never forget. So those are, you know, those are experiences that, that, that are really more, more of the life experiences when I went to the coast than the hockey experience were, were stuff that I'll remember. Oh, I could just picture your son going into his, his second grade class going, you know, how was your weekend? Well, you wouldn't believe what I heard. I was sitting on the bus playing cards with some guys and, you know, then the stories come flying out. But uh, did you have, uh, when you, I mean, you know, as I mentioned before, you had such a, a great career and, and so many leagues and, and so many, I mean, probably several hundred teammates over the, the course of that. Uh, any guys stand out? Any guys that, that you remember fondly or keep in touch with now? Yeah, you know, there's 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 so many guys that you that you're you know good friends with. There's a couple that you're you're really good friends with, and but you know, and it's it's easier now with social media and Facebook and, and that to keep in touch with guys because earlier on in your career you lost touch with them because as soon as they left, unless you saw them at the rink, how would you how would you how would you get a hold of them? So there's a lot of you know you getting. Facebook friended by a guy you played with and then for the next week it's telling stories and in, in, in the direct message and whatever. So it's, there's, there's guys, but as any guy would know, there's 20 guys in a team and you like 10 of them, you can put up with five and you don't like the other five. So, <laughs> but at the rink, you're a family and, and you like everyone. So there's, there's guys that I'm really good friends with and there's, but there's, you know, there's no one that I really disliked and, and wouldn't, wouldn't have a beer with now or even then yeah hey i want to transition to post-career because i'm always fascinated you know so many guys i think and i didn't have to go through it because i I peaked way too young but uh you know when when a lot of guys when they get into hockey and they play till they're maybe 22 23 and they realize it's not going to happen and they go what do i do now and in your case you're now making a, a living as a financial planner um, what did you take from your hockey career that you, you're now applying to your profession uh, these days? Well, you know, just because I was in a, in a, in a career as a hockey player, um, knowing that it's not forever, knowing that the paycheck isn't coming, knowing that you're going to have to have some kind of discipline or some kind of direction if you want to continue having that money into retirement and, and when you get older. So it was, I think knowing that I put myself in that position, knowing that I've been, I've been in the, in the situation where I don't have an advisor. And then I've been in the situation where I've had an advisor. And now I'm, now I'm an advisor. So I think I can learn from the experience that I have 
that I had, plus what I've seen. I've seen a lot of players, you know, throw a lot of stuff away because they're young and, and ignorant or someone took advantage of them and gave them some wrong advice. So it's, 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 it's understanding. And, and I'm in a, I get asked all the time, oh, what stock's good? What stock's good? And I'm like, you know what? It's long-term. I don't particularly, you know, there's a certain amount of your portfolio that if you want in stocks, go ahead. But it's, it's, it's the longer term and, 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 and tax efficiency and retirement to, for th those different things. It's just a, a more long-term focus when a lot of guys, especially athletes that I deal with, want that adrenaline rush. They're used to that adrenaline rush and you're trying to talk them down into going, let's move a little slower and, and, and work long-term and worry about tax efficiency and retirement. So you have more money and you, you die with money instead of dying without money. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we're seeing, uh, even right now, I mean, a guy that I used to play against growing up as a kid, uh, Evander Kane, you know, just came out. He owes like close, he was getting sued for like $10 million and, and, uh, you know, we've seen it with Jack Johnson's another famous case of just somebody mismanaging funds. And, and even, even meeting new guys now, you, you talk to them and you ask them, Where, where's your money? Oh, it's taken care of. Where? Like what? Well, no, I, it, I don't know, but it's taken care of. <laughs> There's a lot of room for people and players, not only players, but it, people to be taken advantage of or, or used in and directed in, in, in the wrong areas. So I think that to, to, to build trust and to educate is more important than just saying, give me your money, I'll put it here. I think that my, my practice and, 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 and the way that I do things is I educate people on why. And then when the decision's made, it's, it's, a, it's a decision made between the both. The client is making the decision through the education that I gave them. So they, they feel and they know why they're doing things and, 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 and understanding instead of just sitting there going, yeah, my money's here, my money's there. I have no clue what it's doing. So it's, it's, it's a lot of the job is educating. Yeah. And, and you know, I think back when I played hockey, the best coach I ever had was a guy that played, you know, he got a handful of games in the NHL, but mostly was an American league player. And, and when he took a bunch of 14 and 15 year olds, he taught us, um, you know, what it's going to take, right? And I, I think it's really cool that you're in this industry now because I think for a lot of young guys, they can look at you, like young athletes, and they can look at you and go, well, this guy's done it all. He's been to every hockey continent on the face of the earth. And, you know, if anyone can, can kind of guide me here, it's, it's, uh, it's David Ling. Um, you see some of these guys making, I mean, they're coming out of entry-level deals making seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars. Uh, I mean, like what do you, like, what would you even say to a kid making that? Because especially if they're a Mitch Marner, they're 21, they're signing whatever he signed three years at 10 million per to be a 21 year old making 10 million bucks a year. I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it, it's, it's tough because they, they, at 21, you really don't want to listen to anyone, but it's, 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 it's the time to really get an understanding of where your money's going, whether it's through educating yourself or getting educated by your, your advisor. But I think that uh, society in, in Canada, especially is, is, is lack lacking in educating the younger generation that in high school, the, you know, even the bank accounts, getting an understanding of mortgages, just, just, I think we lack a little bit of that, that we should be educated more before we get put out, out on our own and, 
and understanding that. But it, as as a young athlete coming out, as long as you, you you trust someone and know that that your money is being put in the right positions and then and, and you're not taking big gambles as as we we try to say if it if it sounds too good to be true, it probably isn't. So you, <laughs> I got the inside scoop here. I'm I'm going to make two hundred percent. Usually that doesn't work, and usually that you heard it, it's it's too late. So it's 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 educating and and getting understood because a lot of people do make a lot of a lot of mistakes. And if, if you have a long term focus, there's less room for for error because there's more time for one if the market goes down. There's more time for it to go back up and 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 continue the the, the growth. Where if it's short term and and the market goes down, you could lose a lot of money. So it's it's just trying to focus on the long term, knowing that your money has to outlive you or at least tie <laughs> oh yeah because i mean if i'm making 10 million bucks a year at 21 i've got an aston martin for every day of the week so um I... and there are and there are and there are different strategies that 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 are that are tax efficient that are one that are that are safe and and, and keep you protected and 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 then it's all about diversification inside your your portfolio and there's different strategies you can't just be in mutual funds you just can't be in stocks you just can't have life insurance you got to have a combination of 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 the whole uh holistic plan as we call it at ig wealth management so that it's it's all part of that and it's all it's every situation is different and that's why there's not one cookie cutter template where you can put in and, and punch out the best plan ever because every situation is different and you have to really know your client to, to put them in the right track yeah well, David, I think it's, I mean, first of all, thank you uh, for coming on and sharing with me. I, I think it's a great place to end. And I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're in this kind of a role, because I do think that the more these young guys are making as much money as they are in the NHL and, and even in the American League, um, the more people like yourself are, are needed because you can relate to them. And, and uh, yeah, and, and I, th- I think, it, I think you're right. I think it's good but that I mean, I've been there. I've experienced it. Um, I know I know I can put their T-shirt on and say, you know, I've, I've been in that position. I, I've thought that that same thing. And, and I know that in 10 years, if you continue doing it, I know because I've seen what can happen. So it's it's good to be able to just have a chat with them and, and get them to just like any any kind of mentoring or any kind of educating. You're always through experience. And, and the more experience you have, the more people will trust you because you've been there, done it, and, 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 and lived it. So it's, it's, it's good. I'm really, really, when you can help someone, whether it's an athlete or, or, or just a family of, with a new baby, you help them put them in a position where they don't have to worry. It's really rewarding, you know? So I, that's, that's part of the job I do like. Absolutely. Well, um, where can people reach out and connect with you? Uh, social media, David Langer, IG Wealth Management website, search me and, and, and just, you know, it, it's sometimes it's not, what I can do for you, just give you a second opinion of where you're at, you know, just getting an understanding if you're in the right position and, and I feel like you're in the right position. I'm not, I'm not going to try to steal your advisor. If you're in the right position, that's, that's the, that's what matters. But sometimes it just takes confirmation of a second opinion just to get an understanding of if you're right and if you're wrong. Absolutely. Well, David, uh, thank you again for taking the time on a, a Sunday afternoon here to, to chat with me and uh, I wish you all the best in the future.
Thanks again to David for coming on the show. And as always, guys, thank you for listening. Um, you know, rate and subscribe, as I mentioned, and uh, just thank you for the continued support.